There are many questions that plague humankind, like, what is the meaning of life? Do aliens exist? And what is InSpam and where did they get the name? Some answers may come with time, and some may be forever kept within the inner circle of Hormel Foods. This episode of the Roast Podcast explores the origins and cultural impacts of spam. I'm Jade Falatoy, and this is the Roast Podcast. This podcast is sponsored by the Whitworth University Master of Arts in Administrative and Nonprofit Leadership, preparing leaders, educators, and organizers for a better tomorrow. Attend classes in the evening and complete your degree in two years. Discover more at www.whitworth.edu. According to Carolyn Wyman's Spam, a biography, deli shoppers were already buying canned lunch meat from their local butchers before, out of Austin, Minnesota, Hormel introduced Spam in 1937. There are many theories for what spam means. Spiced ham, specially processed American meat, scientifically processed animal matter, special army meat. And while that may never be cleared up for certain, at least we can know what exactly is in spam. Pork, water, salt, potato starch, sugar, and sodium nitrate are combined to make this salty square of meat. The original recipe called for pork shoulder, a once unpopular hog byproduct. Water, salt, sugar, and sodium nitrate for coloring. In 2009, potato starch was added to try and reduce the gelatin that naturally forms when meat is cooked. While the recipe has generally remained the same, the perceptions and main consumers of Spam have changed over time. U.S. housewives of the 1930s were getting used to serving the unrefrigerated meat, but World War II made Spam an international household name. I sat down with Ayaka Dohi, a student of our sponsor, the Whitworth University Master of Arts in Administrative and Nonprofit Leadership, a Filipino-Japanese woman, the Director of Student Diversity, Equity, and Inclusion, and lover of Spam, to discuss the perceptions and cultural impacts of our favorite Spam dishes. So Ayaka, I already gave some bio info about you, but is there anything else people should know about you? No, I'm just really excited to talk about Spam. (laughs) Okay, well let's just jump right in. So I guess what is your personal history with Spam? What's your favorite Spam dishes? All that good stuff. Uh, yeah. Um, well, I grew up eating Spam as emergency food or what my mom would call 911 food. And um, it was just something that if we didn't have anything, my mom hadn't prepared anything or um, we were running out of time to make a meal. Um, she would just bust out a can of Spam and have my sister and I chop it up. If you've never seen what Spam looks like, it's in this kind of rectangular can. You pop out this chunk of meat and you grab a knife and you just slice it into uh, some thin pieces and throw it on a, a pan and, and um, fry it or, or cook it over a stove top. And um, we usually, the easiest way to eat it was just to have Spam as a side to rice. Um, but other ways um, that we ate it was we, if you chopped it finely, you could eat it with, make it into the meat for fried rice. Um, it was really popular in Filipino culture. You can eat it for breakfast as well. You have uh, Spam, some um, fried eggs and rice. Um, and in Filipino culture, you can there's no distinction between what food is appropriate for breakfast, lunch, and dinner. So you can eat it for dinner, you can eat it for breakfast. Um, but that's how I ate grow that's how I ate spam growing up. I learned 
once I moved to college, the other ways that folks from Hawaii would eat them. And that was um, really interesting for me to learn about how other people ate it because I just assumed that the way we ate it or the reason we ate it were the same for everybody else. Yeah. Um, did you say Spam was the side to the rice? Yep. That's funny. <laughs> rice for everything. Everything else is a, is a side. Yeah. <laughs> um, in my family, we had, we always just had like a can of Spam, at least one in the house, right? So kind of this like emergency, this is what we got, like cook it. Um, but one of my favorite dishes was just Spam and corn. So we would dice up the Spam um, and then get like cans of corn and just mix it all together with some butter and some garlic, salt and pepper. Um, and then you ate it with rice and I would just mix it all together and yeah, it'd be super filling. Wow. That's another new way that I've not heard of eating Spam. Like, I think you're the one who actually introduced me to cooking Spam over oil. We never used to have oil because there was already enough um, preservatives. <laughs> in it to cook it itself which i think is the criticism of spam is you don't really know what's in there mm -hmm. yeah and it's got like such a high sodium uh count that now they had to put like low sodium spam and yeah. like regular spam right um but yeah that's yeah i fry it with more oil uh to get it really crispy <laughs> Um, so yeah, I guess not the healthiest, but in my mind, if I take the low sodium spam, it's fine. <laughs> well, speaking of not the healthiest, it was actually from one of my older sisters, my ate from, who's from Hawaii, who introduced me to putting sugar on top of spam and cooking it that way to have the both salt and sweet flavor. Mm -hmm. she, okay, so sugar and soy sauce makes teriyaki sauce. Oh. Um... So for my family, we mix brown sugar with the soy sauce. And it's like a ton of brown sugar, right? Because um, soy sauce is like so salty already. Um, and then that's how we like, we'll make the sauce and then cook the Spam in that sauce. So it like starts to absorb oh, wow. the flavors. Uh -huh. And then you just have like extra sauce around it. Okay, but your aunt, I guess like, did she have like the sauce or was it just straight like sugar on top just of the Just sugar, spam? yeah. I remember being in her apartment, I think it was my, maybe my sophomore or junior year of college, and she was making Spam and I was watching her and she busted out this bag of white sugar and just started sprinkling it on top. And I was like, what are you doing? She's like, this is the way we used to make it back at home. I'm like, what is this? <laughs> make some on the side for me without any sugar, please, because I've never had it before. But actually it's something that now I do every once in a while as a special treat. Yeah. <laughs> Um, what's the most interesting way or ways that you've seen spam either being produced or being like made or like innovated? Mm. Uh, for those who don't know, Hawaii actually has a like spam cooking competition where the goal is to uh, find new inventive ways to make spam. That's funny. Um, that's so cool. I didn't know that. Oh. Spamasubi, I think, is just like a classic. It's, um, I, as being also Japanese, um, like having seaweed, with, I never thought about combining the two, and we've already had both Spam and rice. We were just, Filipinos were just missing the seaweed part. Um, you know, one of my favorite ways, and actually I forgot to mention this earlier, and I haven't made this in a while and I really want to, um, is making Spam in a sandwich where you have a sweet roll, like a Hawaiian sweet roll, 
and you put mayo and you put a spam in between and you call it a sandwich. Yeah. <laughs> it's the same thing as a regular sandwich, right? <laughs> you have your bread, you have your mayo or whatever condiments and you have your meat. Yeah. I think, um, so I have to cook the spam. I can't eat it raw. But the one of the or people people eat it raw. People eat it raw. I didn't know people, that. I okay. I knew a guy in college. Is that um, safe? Yeah, well, it's already cooked. Oh. Yeah. So okay, it's already okay. cooked. All you really are doing when you're like cooking it yeah. is like warming it up. That's true. Okay. That's true. Um. But yeah. So I knew this guy. He went on camping trips with cans of spam and would just eat it raw. No. Uh oh. Like straight out of the can. So those things I I don't touch. I, I have no idea. I've never tried that. I'm too scared to try it. <laughs> because if you if you see spam in the can, it's like pink. Well, and it's jelly, like the, yes. all the like gelatin that's like formed around it. And that's how I knew how to like when the spam was ready to be cooked because it would turn kind of a, a reddish cooked color. Yeah. <laughs> I didn't actually didn't know that that it was already cooked. Again, it's one of those things where you know, you just you just you my mom didn't we didn't really think about the food too much just the way it's always been made but i think that's just me i don't really food i was so blessed to have food cooked for me mm. and my mom forced and i still don't like being in the kitchen but just kind of if my mom made it i knew it was good to go and whatever she told me i just followed during world war ii the u.s military recognized spam as an inexpensive and filling meal for troops time magazine reported that the u.s military shipped over 100 million cans of spam to the pacific in those military outposts, spam is still popular among the locals, particularly in Hawaii, Guam, and the Philippines. In the wake of World War II, the U.S. sent out aid packages to devastated parts of Europe. Included in these packages were cans of spam. Soviet Premier Nikita Khrushchev wrote in his memoir, Khrushchev Remembers, Without spam, we wouldn't have been able to feed our army. We had lost our most fertile lands. Today, Spam products are sold in 44 countries, and the 8 billionth can of Spam was sold in 2012. With all of Spam's global success, there were and are still those who turn their noses up at Spam, like the U.S. soldiers of World War II who called Spam the ham that didn't pass its physical. Yeah. Mm. Um, yeah, I guess I was thinking, so there's this TV show that I like to watch, it's called Guy's Grocery Games. Um, and so Guy Fieri hosts it and you have to make whatever type of dish he wants you to make like a decadent dessert or a brunch item or a classic southern um, breakfast something like that um, and he tries to like throw them off by giving them ingredients that no one really wants to use like anchovies um, like tongue and then he has uh, canned ham is what they call it uh, but it's spam um, and every time somebody gets assigned to use spam, they are like, oh, this is so awful. Oh. Nobody likes it. Mm-hmm. Um, and every episode where they have somebody from Hawaii come on, they're like, oh, I love spam. And they'll just grab it, not as a mandatory item, but just like something that they pick up. Um, so I guess like, what have you seen from like others mm-hmm. um, who don't necessarily know what spam is? Like, what are those interactions like when you are cooking spam? Yeah, that's such a good question. I think um, what I remember vividly was when I moved. So I'm from the Bay Area and like there's just such, you know, I grew up with a lot of Filipino families and I think it was just a given like spam was just maybe something you had in your household. So it wasn't like new to anyone. 
Um, but it wasn't until I moved to Spokane and actually started dating a couple white guys and I would cook spam or bust out spam and they would just have this like horrific reaction when I would bust it out and like, are you going to cook that? Like, why are you cooking that? Well, you don't even know what's in that. That's a clump of meat that you don't know. And I remember those reactions so well because I had such a fond memory of spam as like something that my family cooked for emergency situations, but it was still really yummy um, or comfort food and something that like if I had the opportunity to share spam, like especially with maybe like friends in college, I, I don't think it was a big deal. And again, like I had so many friends from Hawaii, so like that was also like they enjoyed making the various dishes with spam and it wasn't until like again dated white guys who either heard things about spam or had never had spam before and reacted so negatively to it and you know i had to think a little bit about like why one why they were reacting like that because they never had it but also maybe like in their families they they were like very like hyper aware of the food that they were eating which i don't necessarily know if it's true because you don't know what's it the meats and the the meat that's in hot dogs right. either right so it was it was very confusing to me that um there are people who actually didn't like it and like disliked it so much that they refused to eat it when i when i made it that was a that was a bummer um but anyway, I don't know if I, I can't remember what you're going at, but that, like, that's exactly what came to mind. It's just like that negative reaction mm -hmm. from, from particularly white men. Yeah. 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 I typically got, um, negative reactions when I was like, oh yeah, I love spam. People are like, oh my gosh. And it's usually people whose families have been in the U.S. for generations, mm. right? So they're not like new immigrants, um, which is funny to me because spam became popularized during World War II, um, as a U.S. Army staple. Uh, and part of like their ration system mm -hmm. uh, during World War II. So I was like, here is this very American thing that not many Americans actually eat, but every immigrant um, or every islander that I've met who's mm -hmm. been colonized by the U.S. Um, eats it. Mm -hmm. So I guess like what, what do you know about like the origins of how spam got into like your culture or even just like the islands where you come from? Yeah. Yeah, so right, part of that World War II was um, the occupation of Okinawa and the Philippines, and so spam was distributed to those territories. Um, and so obviously the U.S. brought it into at least what I'm most familiar with is the Philippines and Filipino culture. So it's just always been part, I guess, since World War II, part of Filipino cuisine um, and Hawaii, obviously, too. But um, I, I didn't, I, I spent a few years, eight, seven years in the Philippines. And so I actually don't remember eating Spam until I moved to, to the U.S. Um, but, uh, sorry, I'm like forgetting my train of thought. Um, no, and, and I guess part of it was and I don't know if this is true of the Philippines, but I know this is true of Hawaii and Japan, is I guess maybe um, like their farming and cattle isn't a huge industry. And so it was that was their biggest source of, of meat. And you probably found out this out in your research. 
but um, Hawaii is the largest like consumer of spam, and I wonder how much of that is part of the fact that the cattle, the cattle industry or cattle farming is not a huge part of the area because of their limited like land space. So anyway, that's I mean I I actually did don't know a ton of history about about spam. Other than like maybe conversations I had with with friends, but for many for like Filipino and Hawaii culture, like it was just something we always had. Mm-hmm. So I don't know if maybe that's part of also like growing up from a lower socioeconomic background was like you didn't really question the food that you had; you just mm-hmm. ate it. You know, um, which was interesting because, again, like m- w- spam. It was our like nine one one food, and for other families, like obviously going to like a drive through and picking up fast food was kind of like the emergency situation. But my mom never prescribed to that because even if she couldn't, she couldn't buy us a ton of food or buy us fancy food. Um, she would always cook, and so. I, 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 that's something I've, I thought about a lot is like my mom always like made us homemade lunches, never wanted us to buy from, from the school because even if she couldn't give very much, at least she was going to give her time to make the food for us. Yeah. yeah it's interesting how, um, I guess even when like poverty, you, you don't question too much, but you're still able to find like really mm-hmm. good food. Um, and that kind of makes me think of like spam used to be this thing that was really affordable and cheap to make, which is why it became like such a big army ration. Mm-hmm. Um, and it was so like easily distributed and produced because it was so cheap. Uh, but nowadays spam is like oh, expensive. Yeah. <laughs> I was just talking to my sister about that. We were, I was telling her like, what do you remember about spam? Like I just remember it being emergency food. And then, and then I started buying my own spam and I found it was really expensive. And so why the heck did, I mean, I don't know what it was maybe 10 years ago, but I don't think it changed that much. But my mom would go to Costco and just buy the Costco size, bulk size of Spam um, and just have it as kind of our, like, again, like emergency backup food. But when you buy one, like, individually, as I started doing in college, I was like, actually, I can't have it as emergency food because it's expensive to buy. It's actually a luxury. Um, I guess for the spam haters in the world, uh-huh. what might you say to them? Uh, yeah, like, what are you afraid of? <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, I think it just surprises me that the spam haters ask what kind of, what, you don't know what's in that when we eat, you know... You eat hot dogs that you don't know what's in that. We don't know what's it. What's in that hamburger helper? Yeah. You know that's another thing. So I don't think there's a big difference. And also, um, no. And I, I mean, any any people who hate on food before they try it, I've, that's I, I think that's been a biggest, very big pet peeve of mine <laughs> since moving to the U.S. is um, people's. Um, visceral negative reaction to to cultural food because they don't know it before they even try it um and i think it's especially hurtful to like people who have like very much like direct personal ties to the food that they have and Mm -hmm. spam was one of those things for me and i didn't realize 
how comforting it was until I moved to Spokane and I didn't have my mom's food and then I didn't have her emergency 911 food anymore and then having a greater appreciation of it because it wasn't just Filipinos it was um my friends from Hawaii who had like their own versions of how they made it like I had I didn't have spamasubi until I moved to Spokane with my and it was so good I wish um I was so grateful to have like had that experience um but yeah spam haters try it and then tell me if you hate it <laughs> spam was a cheap meat product that could be accessed by people whose lands and food production were disrupted by foreign militaries Indigenous food practices like fishing, hunting, and farming were disrupted by foreign militaries and especially by the island-hopping tactic in the Pacific during World War II. The U.S. tested nuclear weapons on the Marshall Islands, causing a slew of diseases that persist to today's Marshallese and their neighbors in Guam. During and post-World War II, lands in the Pacific were seized by countries like the U.S. for military bases, preventing the indigenous people from returning to their original subsistence. Without access to fishing, hunting, and farming, locals became dependent on imported goods like spam to feed large populations instantly. Locals began to infuse the imported meats into their cultural foods and practices. It is common for Samoan people to give corned beef cans, even cases of it, during certain ceremonies. Corned beef is another popular canned meat for islands like Tonga, Samoa, and Aotearoa, otherwise known as New Zealand. Hawaii and Guam have hosted spam cooking and competitions, rewarding innovative methods and recipes for cooking spam. The legacies of war and military occupation has left a mark on the cultures and foods of indigenous people. But also, if you're familiar with the Filipino culture, American culture is deeply intertwined. That sometimes, unless you like dig into it, you don't actually know what's what's true Filipino culture if there isn't even any of that left with like how how spread out and colonized the indigenous native communities are in the Philippines because of also the colonization not just by the US but also by the Spanish and so like you know when we talk about like the erasure of culture I think that's that's a good the Philippines is a really good example like the Philippines true native Filipino culture is very much lost um so with that said it's not a surprise to me that like filipino families here in the u.s have both in the philippines and here in the u.s like are all very much familiar with spam but probably has always been just that without a lot of like maybe critical thought or reflection about where that that comes from but perhaps just evidence of the fact that like we've just been very much colonized culturally mentally by American culture vis-a-vis, -vis, of course, the, you know, U.S. occupation of the Philippines. And then, as we've mentioned a few times already, um, the bringing of <laughs> cans and cans of spam into, yeah, their occupied territories. The Merchant Marine Act, also known as the Jones Act, says that only U.S. ships can transport goods to U.S. ports making shipping expensive for the state of Hawaii and U.S. territories like Puerto Rico and Guam. The extra cost of shipping makes items like milk, eggs, and spam exponentially more expensive than in the continental U.S. In Guam, the original Chamorro diet consisted mainly of fish, bananas, and breadfruit. 
Today, 90% of food is imported in Guam, making indigenous and local people dependent on cheap, longer-lasting foods like instant ramen, spam, canned corned beef. This dependency on canned and preserved food results in higher rates for heart disease, diabetes, and other chronic illnesses. For some Chamorros, spam reminds them of Marines and freedom and of the homes they lost. In 2018, AJ Plus highlighted a young Chamorro couple, Francesca de Oro and Hilan San Nicolas, who were trying to decolonize the diets of the indigenous Chamorro people of Guam and return to sustainable food practices. The couple began spearfishing, catching individual fish and mindful to leave fish that could reproduce more for the next fisher. They also began farming and sharing these skills and knowledge with others. Their reclamation of traditional food practices allowed for food independence, which for them is a political independence after years of militarization and occupation of their homeland. That's interesting. I think when it comes to food, I don't know, like, again, maybe I've, I've like, spam is a good example of, like, I'm, I don't know, American food being being claimed by Filipinos by their own way of of cooking up these dishes and incorporating into their meals, just as communities from Hawaii have created spamasubi, you know, as an example of the way like American culture has infiltrated their their space, but yet made it into their own, right? Like, I don't know if Americans during World War II ate spam with rice. I honestly have no idea, but like, again, like rice is just a staple in many of our dishes. But when I think about like all the foods that my mom and, you know, families back at home made, they were truly Filipino. Like it was food that, dishes that they learned from when, before they immigrated, um, that they had. I mean, obviously there are the special dishes that were only just for special occasions. I mean, like, and I, we didn't, I didn't come from a very, we came from a very poor family in the Philippines. I remember one time, like, the food I just mentioned earlier, like, kare kare, dinigwan, like, that was not, those were not dishes made frequently growing up. But in fact, it was like eating rice over water. And maybe if you had, like, corn or banana, like, that was, that was, like, poor food that we would eat regularly. So... Yeah, I don't know if I'm answering your question very well because, you know, Filipinos are known for being very resilient, and I think there had been there have been aspects of our culture that they've held very tightly to, and I think food is one of those ways. But if you go to the Philippines or talk to Filipinos, like they have a very good grasp of English, even though our country has hundreds of dialects, almost everyone has some sort of grasp of English. If you ever watch Filipino TV, they're speaking Tagalog and English at the same time. You think about like the, the standards of beauty in the Philippines, that is very much Americanized. So what, what, what's, what, it's, it's such an interesting contrast to think about all the ways that American culture has infiltrated Filipinos and Filipino culture, and yet food has actually not been very much Americanized. And when you come here, you like, I get really excited when I go to Filipino parties because I know we're going to have all of these dishes. And again, maybe you don't know what's in it, but you just know it's really good. And introducing some of those dishes to Filip to non-Filipinos, particularly Americans or white people, they're, 
their faces are not of curiosity, they're of disgust. Because like one of the dishes we have is diniguan, which we growing up was no, known to the kids as, um, I think it was like a chocolate meat because it was dark, like black soup and meat. And you didn't want to tell the kids that it was goat blood, you know? <laughs> you know, but like, think about that. Like, I don't know a lot at least like American food is very much processed in such a way that it looks beautiful mm. and Filipino food is you don't want to know how much meat different kinds of meat how much oil how much of it was fried um <laughs> is in that food um so yeah I mean I I think that's what comes to mind is when you talk about like reclaiming I wish we reclaimed other aspects of our Filipino culture but I'm proud that um growing up like there was still a lot of pride and in the food that we the cultural food that we made and we didn't um what's the word we didn't um uh, yeah we didn't i mean other than fusion food we didn't try to like sanitize it in such a way that it was going to like appease people outside of filipino culture you ate it or you didn't um, well, thank you for taking the time to talk with us about spam and about cultures. Um, I guess, do you have any other final thoughts? No, I think something that, uh, yes, so, something that surprised me recently is I went back to California and now they're making not just like low sodium, but they're making flavored spam. Mm -hmm. So if you're ever at a grocery store and you see Tocino spam or garlic spam, try it out. It sounds like, um, maybe that's a way I don't know if necessarily reclaiming, but uh, Americanizing already American food <laughs> that maybe perhaps a lot of like, yeah, uh, white Americans, a way to get white Americans to jump the wagon. Okay. Wait, what is Tocino really quickly? Oh yeah, Tocino is another um, like, I don't know what part of a cow it is. But it's a kind of, it's a meat that Filipinos cook up for, for breakfast. Gotcha. Okay. I, in my mind, it's bacon, but I'm not sure if that oh, was like the right I think Spanish I have thing. heard that. I think okay. it's like very thick, thick bacon. Huh. Okay. Because, you know, bacon is very thin. Tocino. I've heard that Filipino, Tocino is Filipino bacon. Gotcha. I've okay. heard that. Okay. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> Any final thoughts outside of that? <laughs> no. <laughs> Thank you. Thank you. Through years of colonization, militarization, and occupation, spam has had a unique relationship with people across the globe. Yet, across Asia and Oceania, there remains a sense of pride in turning a gelatinous ration of meat from Minnesota into a cultural delicacy. From spam sandwiches to spam musubi, these cultures have stamped their own identities on spam. At the outset of COVID-19 and quarantines, many spam lovers in the U.S. stocked up on spam. They knew that it would serve them well as an emergency food, but they also knew that it would be a delicious food source that reminded them of family, home, and tradition. So as the spam slogan goes, don't knock it till you fried it. The Roast is brought to you by the Whitworth University Master of Arts in Administrative and Nonprofit Leadership. Preparing leaders, educators, and organizers for a better future. Attend classes in the evening and complete your degree in two years. 
Discover more at www.whitworth.edu.